Hello and welcome to Cup of Tea with UHB Charity, a hospital charity podcast that focuses on inspiring stories from our NHS staff and patients from across our hospitals in Birmingham. I am your host, Ella Igledon. Make sure to tune in each Friday for a new episode. And if you'd like to be featured on the podcast, please send an email to charities at uhb.nhs.uk. I would love to hear from you. Hello, hello, and happy Friday. This week's episode focuses on a member of staff who works in the nuclear medicine department here at the QE. Ahmad talks to me about his fascinating role and how he moved to the UK just before the pandemic began, which took a huge toll on his mental health. But thanks to one of his amazing patients, Ahmed was able to join a sports team, which helped him meet new people and settle in. I asked him what you do and he said, I used to be a sports person and then from there he introduced me different badminton clubs in Birmingham and then he invited me for one of them i went there now i play for him oh, so, so nice. it's just like so patients they are really nice yeah so sometimes you get like such a gem of a patient who would actually not only appreciate your efforts and not only appreciate the things you're doing for them mm-hmm. but they will also try to return it ahmad also talks to me about how the pandemic affected his department and his advice on moving to a new country which i can't even imagine what that was like to move to the uk at the start of a very scary and unpredictable two years now this isn't the first time i've worked with ahmad he also features in a video that we linked in this episode's description which was a tour of the nuclear isolation rooms which are incredible These rooms have been refurbished by UHB Charity and have made a huge difference to the patients who have to spend days there on their own. You can help us to make patients have better experiences in our hospitals by donating to hospitalcharity.org and specifying the department you would like to help. The difference we are able to make to patients because of your kind donations is amazing. And without further ado, here is my interview with Ahmad. Ahmad, thank you so much for joining me today. It's all right. It's my, it's my pleasure to be here. Amazing. Do you want to give a little introduction about you, your name and your role? Just any any fun facts about you as well, if you've got any. <sighs> so my name is Ahmad Hassan. Uh, I am working in nuclear medicine department as senior nuclear medicine therapy practitioner. We treat cancer patients. Uh, we are part of diagnostic imaging. And we are also part of oncology. So uh, we diagnose as well as we treat patients. Fun fact, that's a bit difficult. But I think that's always the hardest question. Yeah. When someone says, tell us something that is out of, out of the ordinary. Uh, out of blue, <laughs> I, I played badminton on professional level. That's, that can that's be an pretty out of cool. Blue. That's not a fun fact, but that's, that's kind some kind of fact. I play cricket. Yeah, and that's it. And how long have you been in your role for? So I've joined University Hospital Birmingham uh, Christmas 2020. So it's been literally more than a year. And was this your first job from kind of training, being a graduate? Mm, no, I've been working in nuclear medicine since 2017, since I got graduated. And then I've been working in UK and working in the NHS since 2020. Okay. 
And for people that want to take up a role very similar to yours, what sort of training have you had to go through? There are multiple uh, tracks available. So I'm a radiographer turned nuclear medicine technologist, but there are separate roles like a specified and specified role for to become a nuclear medicine technologist. So there's like three year degree you can do, or there's like three year apprenticeship you can do. So there are, so in our department, we offer three year apprenticeship to the people and then they got training three years and with study uh, in University of Exeter, if I'm not wrong. And then they get the job band five or start from band five six. Or if you're a radiographer, so you do your radiography anywhere and then you do a bit of general radiography and then you turn into nuclear medicine. But if you're moving from radiography to nuclear medicine, that's a bit hard because in radiography, you just like study a bit of nuclear medicine. Mm. You don't do too much. So the learning curve is a bit steep, but radiographer enjoys more things and more independence in nuclear medicine as compared to nuclear medicine technologists because we study medicine and we are like more towards the medical role as compared to the technologist. So we have more liberties in like uh, interaction with patients and regarding injecting patients and regarding exposure stuff. And we are eligible for, it's, that's a technical term, so we are eligible for practitioners according mm-hmm. to the uh, ionizing radiation medical exposure regulation that's called um, so according to that we are eligible for practitioners but technologists it has to be like special it they can't yeah yeah and is this a career that you always wanted to do so as a kid is this exactly what you want to do or did you kind of just fall into it i won't say when i was one year old i just I, the first thing i could have said was <laughs> i want to burn people with radiation it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't like that uh it was like I'm a Gemini, so I change my mind every second. So <laughs> it's, it's literally a typical Gemini thing. So I have one plan at the moment. And then the moment I leave the room, I'll completely forget about that plan. I'll have something else to do. But regarding my career, it was like I was falling into it. Mm. I was trying to go for medicine. Couldn't make it. I went to it. I went to do radiography. Then while completing radiography, I was completely bored of that. Mm. That's again typical <laughs> nature of me. <laughs> then I decided nuclear medicine. Did nuclear medicine for three to four years. Completely bored of that. Then I decided therapies. Now I'm doing therapies, but I think the therapies are is a steep learning curve and it is getting it's difficult as well as really interesting. What has the pandemic and COVID been like for you and your team? Has it affected you quite drastically in the last two years and it would have we didn't go through this i think my answer would be no different yeah it would be no different if you ask anyone in the hospital they would have the same answer with different stories Mm -hmm. so my pandemic is quite special because i started my career in the nhs so i forgot to tell you i'm i'm not a british citizen Mm -hmm. i'm from pakistan so i'm a I'm on tier two skilled worker visa in Britain. Right. So I started my career in NHS in 2019, December. So And it's quite an irony. Just a quick thing. It's quite an irony. Whenever I start a job, it's always at Christmas time. <laughs> <laughs> Since the start of my career. So I started my career in NHS 2019. Mm-hmm. And after like, it took me like three months to just to get on with the new country and NHS moving from Pakistan to NHS moving from... Uh, smaller healthcare system to a this big healthcare system. It was a big move for me. It took yeah. me three to four months to get on. 
and after three to four months, it was locked down. And I was living. Oh, I was working in Royal Cornwall Hospital, Truro. Yeah. So you know, Truro is a bit of a holiday destination, but pandemic and during winter time, human is like. See, people say people will say that you won't find any human in winter over there. Mm. But I couldn't find even birds over there. <laughs> it looks. It was. It was like really bad. So, I used to live on hospital accommodation. Yeah. In hospital accommodation, it was like two minutes away to work. So, I will always have the. I always had the feeling that oh, I'm always at work. Yeah, of course. And then there was nothing to do. Hospital was quiet, and because we are kind of uh, specialized cancer care, specialized cancer diagnostic imaging, and the therapies. So we didn't have patients. So mm. everything was on hold. We didn't want patients to come out of the houses because we were so scared. We didn't have any data about anything. So we were like, if they catch COVID, then they die. So why don't we just stay home and stay on like basic medication yeah. to just to keep them alive instead of they getting COVID and ended up in A and E or ITU. Mm-hmm. So we had less things to do. We were relocated, but some of us was in the department running basic stuff and offering basic services. it was a massive thing especially for me because i just left a country who's really crowded i just mm-hmm. left a country with a population of 222 million moved to a place with a population of 600,000 it was a massive move and then suddenly new england nobody and then i'm kind of person i socialize a lot i make mm-hmm. a lot of friends but i had no one that time and then for you that was really bad for my mental health yeah, yeah, and because course. you need to keep up Mm-hmm. You need to keep going, and you need to have kind of motivation to go to work. Yeah. A goal to go to work every day, but it was getting difficult. Mm-hmm. And then I was literally waiting to just that if the lockdowns over, I'm gonna leave. If the lockdowns over, I'm gonna keep. <laughs> so it was best place to work regarding people working there. I was the youngest one in the department. Mm-hmm. They they were really nice. I will never never forget them. But unfortunately, it was getting too much for me, and I was, yeah, I was yeah, like, "No, I have to move." So then I thought, "All right, London will be too much. So why not Birmingham or Manchester?" So then I got opportunity here. So mm-hmm. first phase of COVID was really bad. If we if I talk about the team, starting from first lockdown, so our team, everyone was above forty, mm. and so. few of our people i i really i salute their courage so many of them were in like risk group they could have get it but they were here working yeah so second phase i came here and then when i came to birmingham there was like big hospital big department we have like 75 members of staff we run four sites mm. we run nuclear medicine department in queen elizabeth then good hope hospital heartland hospital so we run three sites and We got one cam gamma camera working at Good Hope, one gamma camera at Heartlands, and three here. Mm. And we got state of the art. One of the uh, so we got few cameras that are just two or three installed in the world. So we offering like quite an advanced service. So we couldn't we didn't stop. We did have a pause on some of the services, like you can say some of the uh, diagnostic services that was without them. the survival rate wasn't affected mm-hmm. but we didn't stop any cancer service we we were still doing uh, diagnostic imaging like bone scans uh, like uh, we were offering liver scans for the uh, liver transplant patients 
we were offering kidney scans. We call them call them Max Free for patients having issues with the kidneys. We we were offering scans and uh, kind of pre-assessment imaging for the patient going for transplants mm. or the, for the donors. We didn't stop. We didn't stop treating patients. So we also treat thyroid ablations. Uh, we also treat patient with the neuroendocrine tumors and patient with uh, prostate cancers. We didn't stop. We mm. were still having patients, although the number of numbers were limited. Yeah. Some of the patients, they declined the treatment, but we were, uh, so we asked the question, why? So if they were kind of scared of COVID and things, then we, we introduced pre-self-isolation before the treatment. So we increased their restrictions. So we did everything we could, uh, even though some sometimes it was like out of our capabilities when we had like less manpower, but we were still doing it. So if you could talk about fifth wave, like after the Christmas mm. this year. So imagine we have three camera rooms, two clinics. Uh, every day we are doing therapies and we also offer DEXA service. And there was a day when we have just me, one of my colleague and a manager, three of us in the department. Everyone was like COVID positive or off sick because it was like, so few of us were COVID positive, few of us were doing like too much for mm-hmm. a single person. And then they got stressed out and they were yes. off sick. And it was three of us, but we still didn't cancel anything. Yeah. We were still doing it because um, we were like nine o'clock, someone must be coming from Coventry, someone yeah. must be coming from Warwick. And if I consider myself as a patient and I'm making a journey to hospital and I'm knocking at the department store and saying, oh, you know what, we don't have a staff, I'm sorry. Yeah. I would be really disappointed. Yeah. So just for sake of that, and we're still running on. And even today, uh, we had different plans yesterday, but this morning we were like, oh, this one is gone. This one is offset. This one is offset. Okay. So we have four. Let's make a plan. Mm. And it's, it's a kind of funny story. So whenever we make a rota, we say, let's see for how many minutes it stands. Because you make it and by 12, it's gone. Version 2. Yeah. So I normally uh, annoy my manager saying, oh, it's just version 1. When are you sending version 10 or 11? Because <laughs> I know it's, it will come to this point and it's just a one week rotor. Yeah. So you can imagine 12 changes in 75, among 75 people. So it's horrendous. Bless you. And how long, well, how many hours do you kind of work in your shifts? What, so, what's a typical day like for you? If there is a typical day, does it kind of change each day for you? So nuclear medicine, that includes therapies, DEXA, and it also includes PET. So we normally work Monday to Friday, mm-hmm. but with PET and DEXA, we also run Saturday service. So uh, if you talk about a normal nuclear medicine tech, an average tech, all over the country, they will be working nine to five. It's so people, so for example, the youngsters who are listening to us wanted to become a nuclear medicine tech or radiographer and coming, wanna join nuclear medicine. It's a perfect nine to five job. Mm. So it's like we start some days at eight to four, some days nine to five, some days half seven to half three. So in our department, we are a bit different. We offer uh, our staff 45 minutes lunch break. So they get like extensive break, just relax, calm down. So we start quarter to nine until five, Monday to Friday. So we do 37.5 hours a week. But if you're working in pet, you might be doing one 12 hour Friday, 
nice. uh, one 12 hours Saturday sorry uh, every six weeks mm-hmm. so it's like a rotation and if you're working in DEXA so you will be doing uh, some uh, DEXA service but we do have locums for that mm-hmm. we also have uh, our backbone which we call physics team medical physics team they are literally backbone of nuclear medicine so they are working out with a different so they are by profession medical physicist so they got their undergrad degree in physics and then they went on doing uh, medical physics in their MPhil degree so they are higher banks than us so they take all the radiation restrictions and regulations yeah. regulatory decisions so they work 40 hours a week Okay. So they are the guys who start early, will finish late. So they start about 8 till 6. Mm-hmm. So they are within our department. They are, we work together, but they're working hours of 40 hours a week. So if some if someone's listening to us and wanted to become a physicist, there's a track. So mm-hmm. you do physics in your undergrad and then you do medical physics and then you specialize in nuclear medicine or radiotherapy or diagnostic imaging x-rays or non-diagnostic imaging whatever they like Mm. and you spoke about obviously you've moved here during such a crazy time that no one expected and feeling a bit isolated and lonely for someone else that might be in your position that is moving to the uk we're obviously still not in the best of situations is there anything that has helped you to feel like you can settle in a bit more what did you do anything that has how did you meet people to feel like you fitted in? And has anything helped you? Has working helped you meet people in Birmingham at the NHS here? It was it was literally like uh, you need to search for it. Yeah. So I I was in a culture when uh, where you don't need to search for anything, mm-hmm. especially when you socialize. You don't need to search for anything. There's like so many bodies around you, so many people around you. You don't need to search for things. You will find someone of your niche very soon very quickly but country like this when everyone is busy where everyone is really busy doing their work minding their own business you need to search for it so i made really good friends in Cornwall so again uh, so the fun fact about me as i s- stated earlier playing badminton and cricket mm-hmm. so i made friends so after like first lockdown we were allowed to play a bit of badminton and you were allowed in indoor sports and cricket. Yeah. So I started playing cricket, started playing badminton, and then I found, uh, made friends. And then it was hard to say goodbye to them. Then I moved to Birmingham. And then I and I thought, you know what, it would be, I would use the same track. Mm. So I joined cricket club. I, I play for Marston Green. So people over there, they were lovely. They are, they're really good people. So I met, so... I met a patient here mm. in our department and that was like fourth or fifth day in Birmingham and I was on I was working I was doing clinic so I met a patient and he just asked me where you from and this this and I said yeah he said do you play cricket because you're from Pakistan and people take cricket as a religion over there yeah mm. I play cricket he's like oh why don't you come and see us in Marston uh, yeah. we will we would love to have you I'm like oh yeah why not Next Sunday, I was playing a match. Oh, that's really nice. And then they were really welcoming. So the president of the club, the curator, the ground caretaker, the captain, the players, they were really nice. Mm. I made a lot of friends from there. And then from there, I made a lot of friends. And then further on, further on, I started playing weekday cricket and then doing practice. And I still got a lot of friends. from. And then uh, regarding making further friends, 
so again the same story i met a patient and uh, that patient used to play badminton from england mm. he was a retired player so he was because he was of his age he was really fit when i was injecting him i was like oh my god look at his muscle you can literally <laughs> so it was like a good demonstration for an anatomy student like oh this is this yeah. muscle this muscle in the forearm and i asked him what you do and he said i used to be a sports person and then from there he introduced me different badminton clubs in Aww. birmingham and then he invited me for one of them i went there now i play for him Aww, so, so nice. it's just like so patients they are really nice yes. so sometimes you get like such a gem of a patient who would actually not only appreciate your efforts and not only appreciate the things you're doing for them mm-hmm. but they will also try to return it and i think these kind of returns when you can actually help someone socializing getting yeah. a life after work or getting a life after on the like hectic week on the weekends mm-hmm. i think i highly appreciate that and i always say to these two three people i, I will be forever in debt of yours because you know if i'm working 9 to 5 and from monday to friday if i have nothing to do on weekends i think i would i wouldn't be able to restore myself to work again on monday mm. and i would have been long gone yeah yeah and and if i could have if i could have resigned and gone home and that that won't surprise anyone mm. because that will be like oh, this guy must have been stressed out but i think these things sports socializing having nice people around me just just keeps me going yeah definitely yeah. and it's clear then that you have really good relationships with your patients is that hard when your patients are really sick or if something happened to them how do you deal with that mental side of it and not try and take it home because i am someone that i meet a lot of patients as well and i obviously i'm not on your side of it but i'm on like the mental side of it and i find it hard because you you grow a natural connection with these people so uh there's a history behind this behind this yeah and it's like it's it's a long long thing so you mm. learn it when you're in med school so it's so if i talk about you you're kind of person when you're going to see a patient you will eventually be empathetic mm. and compassionate because you're going to see because the misery they will be in you'll be like oh my god i, I can't see this yeah but with us we should be compassionate that's our duty of candor that's one of the energies main points yeah but we can't if we say oh i feel pity for you which human humanly we do yeah, but if we do that we lose a track yeah uh, your so job we, would be even harder yeah so we need we need to stay professional there yeah. there are times when you see for example with us so for especially for me if i've seen patients of my age uh struggling with cancer or yeah. coming with really advanced cancer and then i'm like so what we do in the every morning we just uh, go through all the patients we book uh, mm. for a whole day so if you see like someone under 30s or under 40s even yeah. struggling with cancer and got a lot of cancer or advanced cancer you like oh my god and everyone will just have like a, there will be a short silence in the department or in the room saying oh my god this must be but we need to stay professional yeah yeah because if we go on the track that you normally go or normal a normal human will mm, go mm. 
we won't stay professional mm-hmm. we won't utilize um like utmost skills yeah. we won't actually have a productive session with them so we have to actually bury a kind of you know that thing in our heart so when we see a patient all right we should be compassionate we should be fulfilling our duty of candor mm-hmm. we should be taking care of all the legislations nhs has taught us we are trained in we should be taking care of our patient staying professional mm-hmm. uh, following the rules following the guidelines so if the patient's making a journey to us and we being paid so it must be a productive session yeah, yeah. so yeah sometimes there are times when you can't you see a patient and you're like oh i can't handle that yeah. so what we do is like you know you just pass it so mm-hmm. there has been times when i had like someone of 16 year old coming with a sarcoma and you're like oh my god and then we knew that that patient's going to lose uh her leg and then i'm like yeah. oh i can't i can't take it so i just pass it to one of my senior colleagues like mm-hmm. who, who's in the field for like so many years and i'm like you know what if i stay with her for like more five more minutes i'm going to cry yeah. because that patient was in agony in pain and i just had like five minutes at the corner of the room cried out and like everything was okay that's fine now i can yeah. go and then i can take care of the patient so sometimes you will receive everyone i would say even if you ask any senior person who's in the field for 30 40 years he would have like 5 10 patients in his career when he he felt like because we are all humans exactly. so when he felt like oh, this is too much yeah. so at that point professionalism say you just step back let someone else handle that yeah you take a deep breath gather yourself and back to the track because at the end of the day person lying on a bed waiting for you yeah he is expecting to be expecting you to be human mm-hmm. but he is expecting you to be really professional with him yeah so that's what the yeah. demand that's very true and it, it's interesting to hear it from a medical professional's perspective because as you said we are all human but you're out there to do a job you need to try and help that person and there are people in hospital that are mental health counselors and that's their role to try and support that person through so i can't imagine that, that there are cases where it is really difficult to do that but it's nice to know that you have people in your team that you can just say are you able to deal with this one yeah and i'm sure a lot of staff in the nhs feel like that too but sometimes it's just that one patient that does really affect you and i think that moves me nicely onto my next question is what's the most rewarding aspect of your job ah oh, that's that's the really good thing so uh, i would give an example just imagine yourself you having a really really hectic day you coming to work around 7 o'clock or 7:30 uh, just slept 4 hours in the night and then you coming in you having a patient you you attending a patient and then treating someone and then when that person is leaving just leaving a nice card for you saying oh. thank you so much you guys have been really amazing literally i'm so you live on that yeah that live on that card for like years and years you don't forget it so we we treated a patient an ablation patient this year mm. so that patient came to us for like repeated treatments because of the advanced cancer so patient came to us like third time and all the time whenever the patient was in the hospital while leaving uh patient left a card for us and mentioning every single name 
the patient encountered during yeah. the stay on the car and saying thank you so much i could have died at home i could have died in misery but then god sent angels like you thank you so much and literally we attached that card and that's on my desk yeah i see that every day that's my energy I so that's that. the most rewarding so it's not like someone bringing you chocolate someone bringing you uh, like a bouquet or something or mm. flowers it's sort sometimes it's someone just humbly and like you can see in the eyes mm. how grateful they are so how they're returning their regards so sometimes literally you see a patient who's in great pain while leaving the department just saying you know what you've done a fantastic job you could have done and those few words will like oh wow yeah and some patient will set an exceptional example of saying thank you that your whole department lives on that for mm-hmm. so many months so if you name that patient at department people will say oh where's that card gone Mm-hmm. So it's literally some patients are like that, and then that's that's the rewarding rewarding thing. And the other thing is if you, if even people are not sick, because when you are sick, when you are like struggling with pain or something like that, you've gone in the quiet mode. Yeah. You don't want to interact. You are thankful. You do, but you don't want to say, or you can't say because mm-hmm. your pain is not allowing you, or it's like your mind is so much diverted. You actually can't concentrate on that part. but we know that when we have treated someone and we have taken care of our patient mm. that's it yeah that's the rewarding thing because when you're going home or for for example a uh, good example bone patients like the patients with aggressive cancer bone mm. metastasis when when you scan them for first time you see like horrendous a uh, cancer all over the body and when they get specific treatments and they it's effective and when they come back for the uh, last scan or like a final assessment scan and you see like oh wow mm-hmm. is the tumor gone oh and then even though you've just paid like 1% role in the treatment you feel like a you know sense of accomplishment yeah. you like oh you know what i've done something i've saved life mm-hmm. so and with our service Uh, we offer like so many cancer treatments and we've seen like patients coming with aggressive tumors and then having like really short expectancy and mm-hmm. then they gone to live years and years yeah. so when you see them you like oh yeah that's why i'm here exactly and i don't think there, there can be anything more rewarding than that saving people's lives yeah i, I don't think there genuinely is so that's really lovely to hear and i think words are really powerful even if it is just a thank you because yeah. as you said patients are so grateful all the ones that i've spoken to as well they're so thankful um for all the nhs staff do you want to talk a little bit about how the charity have helped with your department and the types of things that we've been able to support you with and fund yeah usb charity has been you know whenever we need whenever we ask they were they were there for us so i've already done a video uh, to explain what they've done so uh, we treat patients with radiation mm-hmm. so when the patient is with some uh, radiation so they can't go home they have to stay in with us for some days because there are certain limits when we can discharge patient and patient can go in public or go in like go to their home uh, to have less exposure to their families because the radiation is good for their treatment not good for the people mm-hmm. healthy people around them so 
charity helped us building specialized uh, isolation rooms so they are like shielded rooms so for reference video must be on usb charity page on youtube mm-hmm. so so initially it's so charity and us had a long relation so initially years ago they helped us building the rooms then they helped us extending the rooms then they helped us uh, adding extra shields to the room then they helped us uh, getting some bits and bobs in the room because just imagine someone in the room for two three days no one can contact you doors are closed you can only contact on the phone and someone's watching you on the cctv so you are completely cut off from the world so those patients already felt isolation yeah. before even world realize uh, what is isolation so yeah so then charity helped us bringing on some source of entertainment books dvd dvd player television and uh, playstations mm-hmm. then uh, there was another issue when we felt like patient is really feeling hot they need a kind of humidifier thing so they donated they got us really expensive uh, humidifiers for both rooms so patient was like yeah if you because with their condition when you got tumor in your body so you always you all you're always hot mm. so when it's aggressive when it's active you got flushes and then especially with our treatment one of the side effects is flushes so yeah. uh, they we wanted that and then thermostat was an issue they helped us with that and then we wanted when i came to the department i feel like playstation 3 is a really old thing mm-hmm. and no one wants to have wide so bed beds were really far from the console uh, so then i asked for playstation 4 when i was asking for that so everyone made fun of me in my department like ah <laughs> no nah, you idiot or what uh, will they give you playstation in hospital what do you think uh, what are they doing over there so one of my team lead she was like no nah, they'll give it to you gone mm-hmm. so we asked in a week's time there were like new boxes of playstation on my desk here we go we installed them we had a fun playing them <laughs> playing with them we were just checking them over the working fine yeah so yeah so then we thought we thought oh, these rooms they're just like walls like just painted walls mm-hmm. so why don't we do something different so we asked charity we can do something different so charity gave us ideas so they decorated the walls with some nice wallpapers there was a kind of uh kind of polling in a department <laughs> if you want to go with the beach theme or the tree uh, tea theme uh so we went for tree theme is it tree theme yeah we went for tree theme so <laughs> i was the only one voting for beach theme but sorry i lost the election but then in like few weeks time it was done mm-hmm. and because i already mentioned that we treat some patient with repeated treatments so one of the patient uh, who came for the repeated treatment and that patient couldn't realize and the patient said am i in a different place because the the room one was like l- completely different mm-hmm. and the whoever has done the job has done it brilliantly they've actually zoomed the pixels of the wallpaper yeah. so it l- actually puts you in the reality mm-hmm. so it was so good so that patient said it's a different place i said you know what look this the same mug is there so it's yours <laughs> so yeah So it was really good we had really really positive feedback from people and then what we said in return it was done by uhb charity whenever you get a chance please endorse them so and then whenever i get a chance and then someone asks 
where did you get this? So one of the patient uh, last week asked me, how can you have a fancy room like this? Mm-hmm. So I was like, UHP charity. And then especially for that purpose, I came uh, to the charity office to get some stickers on. So I attached those stickers on the PlayStation DVD player mm-hmm. so people can see and whoever is like, so they can endorse them. So because of that endorsement, we have like quite an agreement when patients are like, I want to donate. Mm-hmm. Uh, how we get it done and then we're like yeah why not go on and it is lovely to hear feedback like that from patients because as you've said before and you can um watch Ahmad's video it'll be in the podcast description there'll be a link to the video that we did film um where you explain everything really well there but I remember you saying before that patients can be in there for two to three days sometimes so to have a nice environment that they're in I think can make a world of a difference to their mental health so that's why it was so important from the charity's perspective as well um so yeah i'm glad that you're still getting really good yeah. feedback that was all the questions i had for you was there anything else that you wanted uh, to mention you don't have to mention i think i've covered most of the <laughs> things <laughs> well thank you so much for sharing your role what you get up to i think you have a really inspiring and very rewarding i can't say that word i've said it too much now <laughs> role um so thank you for joining me it's been really lovely to talk to you and thank you for inviting me and giving me and my department a chance to explain uh, to the youth if they want to join us, if they want to come and join nuclear medicine, if they want to come and serve people in hospital, doesn't matter if it's nuclear medicine. If it's a hospital, you're here for a job. If you're thinking of developing a career, then I would wish all of you best of luck and hope to see you soon. (laughs) Well, thank you. It's always fascinating to learn about different departments within the NHS and what a rewarding role Ahmad has. Please do get in touch if you'd like to talk about your story as a patient or your role as a member of staff. I would love to hear from you. And if you can rate this podcast, that would be much appreciated. See you next Friday.